I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. It's a privilege to be back with you as always and a chance for us to share just interesting, creative, inspiring learning and organisations and people who are just giving a, a filter of what education can be and how they're supporting. And if you've not come across these things before, then hopefully it gives you a chance to take these things back into your school, into your community and maybe help the young people that you're serving. Now, today I'm delighted to be chatting to Leon Ward. Now, Leon is from Future First. Now, Britain has a deep social mobility problem, and this is where Future First are coming to help try and change this. They're a UK charity helping young people in state schools and colleges broaden their horizons by connecting them with former pupils. Their mission is to see every state school and college supported by a thriving and engaged alumni community, which provides students motivation, confidence and life chances. Future First provides schools and colleges with the technology tools and support needed to mobilise their past pupil networks. Alumni can support the whole school community and delivery of school improvement plans, including meeting Gatsby benchmarks, Baker Clause and PHSE goals. For too many young people, their start in life is limiting their future. They do not have access to relatable role models to help them understand what they can achieve, nor the network's knowledge or tools to help them get there. Alumni can act as relatable role models, showing students a world beyond their current experience and expectations, a future that could be theirs. This is a fascinating conversation and it's really great to speak to Leon and see exactly how Future First are going about doing this and how they can help your school or college. So this is my conversation with Leon Ward from Future First. Hi Leon, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Far podcast. Let's start off with just that little bit of background in terms of, of how you got involved in Future First and, and exactly what Future First is. Thank you and it's great to be here. Um, so my name is Leon, I'm the Programme Innovations Director at Future First. Um, and for those of you that don't know us, we are a charity that has one sole purpose, which is to build a thriving alumni network in every state school because we believe quite simply that you can't be what you can't see. So the idea of alumni going back into school to support current students is really what we're all about. We think it can help students in a manner of ways. And that always strikes a chord with me because slightly um, different, but in the same sort of vein, is one of the reasons that I was able to become a, um, a professional musician was the fact that when I had the opportunity in school, but I was able to always see that next step. There was someone who was in the senior 
wind band when I was in the junior one and then one that was in a county ensemble and then one went to music college and then one got into the profession so I was sort of you know almost physically be able to see and hear how those things go on so I can understand this is really that kind of that slightly next step of people you may not have met or been at school at the same time but has, still have that experience and be able to feed that back in to give you like I say those connections which are going to really help yeah and you know 93% of us were educated in state school which means that every single state school across the country has a really rich alumni network the challenge is trying to get them to utilize and it sounds like your school was great at doing that but that's not always the case across the country and I suppose there's a sort of professionalization to it that we try and bring into um, supporting schools to build engage and sustain their network as well because I guess that's the other side of it you know you could do a one-off event an assembly once a year with former students, but actually a proper alumni network has a program of activity throughout the year that connects students that used to sit in the same seats as current students and doing exactly what you've said, showing them about next steps, not just from a career perspective, but also from a life perspective. You know, I find when I'm in school with students and with alumni, actually it's the rough and tumbles of life that the students are most interested in. Of course, they're interested in careers and, and whatnot, but they want to know that, you know, if they don't quite get that grade, is it game over? Or if they don't quite keep that teacher happy, is it game over? You and I both know that's not the case. And there'll be people listening to this who know that's not the case. What we're trying to do is get those people to communicate that to students who are, who are currently in schools. Yeah, and I think that really sort of feeds into a lot of what we hear here on the show in terms of sort of meeting children and young people where they are. And like you say, from that slightly older perspective, we we know that that grade not being quite what you expected or whatever is just your path that you're on but when you're in the middle of all of that when you're at school you don't have that experience and unless you're being told it and heard it and also heard it from someone who's a peer even if there's slight age gap it's different than your teacher telling you isn't it or having to be part of a PHS yeah. or something like that and we tend to use the term near peer because actually, you know, there might be a five, six, seven, even eight year age gap between the alumni member that we've got in the school and the student. But still there's relatability because there's relatability in the area. So, you know, you go to the same shop at lunchtime, you might walk the same route to school. Relatability goes beyond kind of physical characteristics. You know, they might look like you and sound like you too, but actually the key thing is they've got similar reference points. And the thing that you say about teachers, I mean, it's always the same, isn't it? The teachers gave me the best advice at school, but because they were my teachers, I dismissed it, as with everything. It's only when I look back now do I think, oh, yeah, actually school was the easiest or one of the easiest parts of my life. It's challenging in a different way as an adult. Um, and that actually we will miss it eventually. And actually the academic year isn't as long as we think or feel it is when we're that, when we're that young. So uh, really it's about um, uh, bringing all of that round and coming coming back on And itself. it really builds into the idea of community as well, doesn't it? Because I, I, I completely understand that kind of, you know, you're listening to teachers all day, every day when you're a young person in school. And so like you say, some of it goes in, some of it doesn't, some of it washes and, and disappears. But whatever that touch point is, and, the, you know, having these sort of alumni gives you that other touch point and like say that other kind of just sitting up and putting your head above the parapet and going oh this is slightly new or a slightly different approach or different take like I say just based on that slightly older experience or the fact they've been there and done it and are feeding it back in a different way yeah and there is a general working assumption that every student has a really good network at home or they have great role models at home and that isn't necessarily the case for every student out there and that certainly wasn't 
the case for me when I grew up. You know, my mum was an alcoholic when I was growing up. That wasn't the best role model in terms of helping me navigate life beyond um, school. Um, that is quite common. It's probably more common than we think, actually, with young people who don't have um, the, the, the right role models for the industry or the pathway that they want to take. And obviously, you said um, a term earlier, which was meeting students where they are. And I think that's critical because the student, you know, the child of a, a, of a doctor will have different ambitions and different perspectives of their ambition than somebody who is the child of somebody that's a stay-at-home parent, for instance. So take us into, you said you sort of different programs different ways of sort of building up these networks um so take us into what what exactly you do and how you sort of work and build these things and help people the core philosophy or principle i suppose behind what we do is we're trying to increase capacity in schools we know that schools are stretched both financially but probably even more so by 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 staff you know the great resignation is impacting schools more than probably most other industries and so what we do is assign a dedicated alumni program manager to that school that is a member of the Future First team who manages a portfolio of schools that have all purchased the same sort of product from us. Um, and what that means is they'll support you through your year of membership. We have three phases to our membership. The first is build, so building the network. That will look different for every single school. There will be some people listening um, and some people in schools who have an alumni network, but it's on a spreadsheet. There'll be others where actually a former student created it on Facebook and none of the teachers have got access to it at the moment, so they can't utilise it. So we will help unlock access to all of those. And, and we tend to do the kind of the graft around that, if you like. We also do some really basic stuff, like we just go on LinkedIn and search people who have put the school as their, um, uh, on their profile. But that obviously takes time. Once build is done, then we move into the engage and activate stage. So how do you engage your alumni and how do you activate the network? We, what we try and do is fold in some really simple tools to do that. So we create inspirational posters using those volunteers. We make them. We do all of the things like collecting their consent, getting the photo, the tagline, to and throwing on um, whether they're happy or not with the image. We also run a day of activity in the school, bringing alumni volunteers into school to showcase them, their pathways and what they've been up to since leaving school. So we're trying to, as you might have guessed, teach the school how to do it at each stage. We're not an organisation that wants schools to be with us on our most expensive membership for life. What we want schools to do is invest at the top level for a year or two or longer if they need it, and then be able to manage this themselves because that's what private schools do. We're replicating a model that is tried and tested both in private secondary schools, but also in the university sector. It's not rocket science in many respects, but what it is and what it takes is capacity and time, which most schools are short of. And I think that's easy to recognise for anyone who's, who's working in schools. And, and I think that kind of relatability is important too, isn't it? Like I say, it isn't, a new thing it's just the fact that other situations have done it and have the time and have a de dedicated person that's able to do that and, and they reap the rewards for that so how do you sort of find that relatability for schools that maybe haven't been involved with you before is do you sort of go to them do you try and get the touch points do you find them coming to you how does that sort of work yeah, it's a mixture of both. So we do proactive recruitment of schools and reactive recruitment of schools. So we get inquiries from schools all the way, you know, through the academic year who want to give this a go. 
or who want to revitalize it because they've um, they, they they started their alumni network a few years ago. There is always a common issue though, which is that as soon as you take your foot off the pedal, your alumni network stops being a thriving network and sort of just becomes one that kind of rolls along, you know, adding a couple of people to it every now and again. And I guess the key skill that we're trying to teach schools when we do recruit them is around volunteer management. Schools and teachers are brilliant at so many things, but managing external volunteers is not normally a skill set they have. That is something that we try and teach them as well through their membership with us. So as I say, you know, it's about trying to give them the tools. And I think that pitch is a pretty strong one when we're talking to the market. And how do you find that sustainability? Because I, I can completely identify with that sense. There was someone in a school who thought this is a great idea. They had a supported head or SLT. They said, run with it. And they've got it all together in whichever way, like you say, they, they formed it on their own. And then that person then left or there was another focus. And then, like you say, it kind of weans a bit and then someone else sort of comes comes back. Um how do you kind of make sure that doesn't happen again? So are you sort of dealing with a group of people within a school or is it always one person and then, you know, they're not sort of falling, yeah. sort of fell to the same sort of situation? I mean, you're obviously preempting one of the key issues for us at times when working with schools, which is around what happens when that named member of staff moves on or when they move up and this gets removed from their portfolio of work. I mean, we kind of do two things, really, two primary things anyway. Every time we work with a school, we ask for what we call an operational lead, so the person that we'll be in contact with day to day, and then we ask for an SLT sponsor. That's usually a deputy head, sometimes is the head teacher. When we've got them in, what we then tend to do is invite them and all of their peers to come to our teacher CPD training. We will pitch the network to your departmental colleagues. That's one of the things we say in you know to schools. You don't have to do the work around trying to justify alumni or explain alumni. We'll do that for you. All we need you to do is get them to come to the session. We also ask schools for a governor link as well. Um, we have found, obviously, governors tend to serve for a number of years, normally a full generation of school children, just about, um, and often they'll serve for, for several terms. So we'll often, you know, outlive, as it were, the head teacher and other members of staff. So they're kind of some of the principles around that. So it's about, uh, you know, two primary contacts in the teaching team to start with teacher training for other people outside of those two contacts, and then a governor link if we can get it. We also try and do little things like we do write to head teachers at the end of the membership year, even if the head teacher isn't one of the named contacts, we will send them a letter and a membership report just saying, thanks for being a Future First member, here's what we've done together. And sometimes that will prompt responses from heads saying, oh, I didn't even know this was kind of going on. I just thought it happened, you know, that alumni were coming to assemblies by chance. There's, there's kind of sometimes that disconnect, isn't there, between the head teacher and what's going on in each and every single classroom. And yeah, and I think I think that's really true. And I, and I love that kind of sort of 360 approach of being able to see all those different things. And I guess the more schools you work with, the more experiences you have. And so you can start to have those processes into the, the sort of all those touch bases sort of taken care of as they as they happen. Um, one of the things that struck me when I was first thinking about this is you do have, the, I guess, a safeguarding issue in terms of if you have young people below 18 dealing with people above 18 and alumni from that point of view. So how, how does the, the whole process work related to that in terms of bringing them in and connecting them? And I guess some of the, the best experience is the alumni actually having sort of personal contact with some of the younger people as well. So sort of talk us through those sort of issues. 
Absolutely. And, you know, this is where investing in an organisation like Future First, you know, as a charity is a great thing for schools to do because we provide something called the Future First Hub, which is essentially a GDPR compliant and safeguarded LinkedIn for schools. It creates a walled garden effect for each school that allows them to build their alumni network whilst also engaging and registering current students, recognising that current students, you know, as soon as they leave year 11 or sixth form, if you've got a sixth form, they become alumni. So that's the key to sustaining the network. But most year 11s aren't interested in, in um, registering to stay in touch with your school. You know, they're bolting for the school gate, they're, they're done. But actually, if you catch them in year nine or 10, what we'll do is we'll have their personal data for when they leave then that, that we'll be able to use to stay in touch with them. So that's one of the things is that the hub can convert current students into alumni at the appropriate time. Before that appropriate time, they have restricted access to what they can see. So they can't direct message any of the alumni on the network. They can only post in public and all posts are moderated. So they're kind of, you know, the, the, the stringent safeguarding and um, things we have for virtual engagement. If um, we're taking alumni into school, then um, we will uh, we always brief the alumni and have a you know a sense check call and just make sure that they're on the same page with us about things that they can say and things that they shouldn't say. It's not that we have a, a rule book about you must not talk about X, Y, or Z, but it's about understanding that some things you talk about as an adult can be quite triggering for a young person actually. So you need to just be careful about how that's managed. We also don't allow any one-on-one -on -one individual contact in the school. It's all done in a classroom, facilitated by us and with a teacher present. We always ask for teachers to be present. Where we do use alumni for one-on-one -on -one virtually, so we have a mentoring programme, which is all done um, on, a, on, a, on a platform called Brightside, where we connect the mentor, which is an adult, and an alumni of a state school, with the mentee, which is a current student, we DBS check um, that person. Both parties go through training and the platform that we're using, Brightside, which is a recognised mentoring platform, again, is all moderated and has profanity filters, etc. So if you said something like, meet me at, it would flag that message before the message is sent to the young person. And it could just be, meet me at six o'clock on Zoom, you know, or whatever it is that they've agreed, and it could be perfectly innocent. But that's the protections that we've put in place, and the moderation turnaround is within 24 hours. So we don't hamper the experience for the for the mentor and mentee, but also we keep them safe. Yeah, and I, I think everything you said there is just going to give everyone that sense of kind of um, support and help and and, and just knowledge that actually, you know, like I, th I think it's probably what you said at the beginning is the fact that you're taking all that workload and all that stress and all those extra things that everyone's having to think about all the time and taking that burden on and then sort of being able to, you know, keep that going. Yeah. And, and you know, the Future First Hub was designed with teachers in mind and by teachers. There are teachers in our team. My co-director, Naomi, she is a, you know, qualified teacher. Um, and one of the things that we did when um, starting to register alumni virtually is give the power to the school to approve or not approve them. So if you are a teacher at a school and you remember a student from, I don't know, four or five years ago who was a particularly tricky character or you just don't want them back into school for whatever reason, because they've been a tricky adult or a tricky parent, perhaps, then you can block them from registering on the network. So that's a power we've gifted schools. And the final thing on safeguarding is if a school works with us, they co-own the network. So if they ever stop working with us, we give them the data that's registered with us. 
on the understanding that they then have to follow relevant GDPR um, uh, protocols to then move that to a different platform if that's what they want to do. Yeah, and just picking up on the platform idea, because it seems to me that that kind of whole walled effect and everything that you're doing as a um, a member, if I was a school being a member, it's got everything covered. But you mentioned before about you want to you know, support and work and set these things up and then the school can kind of take ownership and move on from there. But do they then lose that sort of that walled access in terms of that communication and, and the kind of the alumni side of it? So um, we call our kind of, you know, all bells and whistles um, program, which is called Future First Pro. That's our fully managed service. That would cost the school £2,250 for the year. They get everything that I've described to date. When they're ready to transition, we have two other products, one which is 1250, and that's Future First Lite. And what that is, is you get a bit of support from our team, but it's not as hand-holding, it's more hands-off. But we'll still create a couple of posters for you, we'll still do some alumni recruitment for you, we just don't do as much as we do on the pro model. So we might give you templates so you can go and do it yourself, but we wouldn't necessarily draw LinkedIn in the same way that we would for pro. And then for those that kind of don't need us, but just want the technology, then we, we essentially have a license fee to access that technology, which is £1,000 a year, and that is called the Future First Tech Model. And actually, about half the schools we work with are on that model, um, you know, and they're doing great things with their networks because every school's priority around their alumni network is different. For some, it's the size of the network. For others, it's about how many engagements they're getting from, you know, from a, from a group of 20, say, because you could have 20 volunteers who are in school every week throughout the academic year, or 500 volunteers, and you're not doing anything with them. So you do you do see both um, situations in schools. And I'm interested to know those volunteers. What is it that kind of gets their their interest sort of really peaked, and and then wanting to get involved? Is there a particular I don't know, phrase or terminology, or, or just an approach which kind of really speaks to them? It's funny, actually, because a lot of the time when I tell people that I work for, you know, a charity that gets former students to go back into their um, into their old school, people think, God, who would do that? But actually, I have found the majority of people have quite fond memories of schools. And where they don't have fond memories or where they feel like the system let them down is normally things that they think they can help with. So I feel like I've been let down because I didn't know what studying physics at A-level would mean for my future career. Um, but, you know, I did it and then I went on and did this degree and I've had a career in this industry. I want to tell a young person who sat in the room thinking the same as me. So that's typically the thing that motivates them. And also, in many respects, it's light touch volunteering because, um, you, you know, the maximum we ask of most volunteers is to submit a picture and a tagline for a poster and then to come to school once a year. The school might ask for more, but that's kind of the bare minimum. And most people this day and age can 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 find a day to support obviously we offer e-mentoring for people that can't take time off work or are in job roles where they're not getting volunteering leave etc so i guess it's the fact that it's accessible volunteering it's light touch um and you give as much as you get to an alumni network i guess the final thing is that it allows people to connect with their peer group but not on their own personal social media which we sometimes see as a, as a turner offer for people yeah and i guess there there are two parts to that one is the fact that sometimes it's quite nice to go in as an adult and you only remember yourself as a child just to kind of have that slightly different conversation with the staff that may be there that you know or or you know sort of seeing what it's like from the top looking into the children's view um is that slightly older person and i guess the other one there must be um in, in the sort of the, the broadest sense you know 
you might be involved in a company that's looking to recruit the, the right type of person or you actually you want to even if it's not the people that you're speaking to on that particular day like you say that kind of motivation of spreading the right message and getting the right sort of people to be aware of things which are going to help your business or the organization that you're working for yeah and that's absolutely it we we work with a number of employers who are interested in um, you know, diversifying their pipeline in all manner of ways, you know, I mean, kind of full intersectionality. Um, and that's one of the key reasons, recognising that if former students can go back to support current students, and bearing in mind that most employers employ state school educated people, because the bulk of us are state school educated, then actually that's how you diversify the pipeline. It's, it goes back to my original um, point in the opening uh, discussion, really, which is about you can't be what you can't see. It's a really, really simple but extremely powerful principle. Um, and we all see that, you know, we all know that um, with anything in our, in, in our lives, we know that we relate to role models, we copy behaviours, we, we look at people and think, well, if you can do it, I can do it. We've got similar backgrounds, I can do it. You know, we live in a similar area, so I can do it, etc. So I think that's kind of the, what drives the engagement from um, people who are looking at potentially diversifying their, their talent pool. And you sort of mentioned their um, sort of people that are inspirational and, and people that have a big impact so I'm, I'm always curious when people are involved in something related to education whether there's a school experience or indeed a teacher which had an impact on their life and, and what it was about that particular thing that was impactful for them but also maybe some of those things that you've learned that you're able to bring into your current role I mean for me there are so many people in the education sector that have had an, an influence there's a you know there's two people that spring to mind whenever I get asked this question one is a guy called John Cook who was actually a youth worker but connected to my school so I still see him as an educator I mean he was an educator probably the most transformational male in my life considering my dad was no good you know left when I was three sort of thing um, and actually had a, an amazing impact on my job helping to show me that there was life beyond the council house and council estate that I grew up in there was life behind uh, sorry beyond the the alcoholism um, and he just opened my eyes to lots of different things my favorite teacher at school was Mrs Michelle Smeech she's still my um, password for certain accounts because her name is quite unusual um, you know she was just somebody that cared she listened to me, even though I was not the best performer at math. I sat foundation math. I'm old enough to have still sat foundation paper when they existed. And, and, you know, I passed just so I got my C at GC math. And that was absolutely down to her. Only now in later life do I realise how critical it was to get math GC at C level, which I did do. But there was loads of other teachers, you know, my head of year, Mrs Schofield, my head teacher, um, Mr Cunningham, who were amazing. You know, they, they ran a a school that was not meant to do well it took its demography from three council estates I think at the time that I left something like 30% of students got five A star to seed and I remember when that school went through academization and the new head took over and she said something quite disparaging about the former school and the former students and the former teachers I had been away for a number of years then but wrote a sort of op-ed in the local rag back in Grimsby where I'm from saying how dare you say that about the people that, you know, incubated all of us and all of the great people that I'm connected to that I went to school with. Yeah. And I think that's really, it's really key, isn't it? And it's, I, I can see the relationship between that and also in what Future First are doing, because 
what you're doing is you're creating an environment and an atmosphere, like you said, which is very different and very personalized to every school in every community. And from that, each person that's involved is going to get a different take on that. So even an alumni coming in is going to hear something slightly different, um, or I'll hear it slightly different than you would as someone in the same room. And, 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 and so I think what you're doing is in all these situations is setting an environment and giving the message and the the story that you can as a teacher as someone involved in in education generally and you're never quite sure what gets picked up by any given child yeah but that's that's the beauty of education you know? exactly and you know the richest conversations i mean we structure our workshops to deliver certain outcomes of course we do but sometimes when you're walking around the room and you're just hearing the conversations between three or four students and a former student irrespective of age and experience that former student there is a richness and a depth to the conversation that you just can't replicate in schools in other ways because um people like people generally and they like exploring and understanding what people like them have been through and again i think people find comfort in recognizing that most career paths are not straight horizontal lines most of us have a bit of a roller coaster time of it and that's not that's because we don't just have careers we don't just do careers do we we do life life sometimes impacts your career and careers sometimes impact your life but actually most um young people don't get the opportunity to ask people about that and um, obviously they're surrounded by teachers but you know um and, and, I, and i hope this gets the right response but most students aren't that interested in what their teachers did because it's their teachers. doesn't matter that they moved away from home once for the first time and that they lived in a student house with multiple people and that, you know, they might have travelled the world because it's their teachers, so it's less cool or less interesting than if a random person on the street does it. And I always like the questions that students ask, which, um, you know, they're linking to success around, like, what car do you drive and how much do you earn? Even though you could tell them you earn £30,000 a year, they won't have a clue what that means in real life, you know, but what they're expecting to do is to leave school, become famous on social media and earn millions when actually most of us don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and we should just um, dive a little bit into, you mentioned sort of workshops there. So just give us a little bit of a picture of, of what that looks like and, and how that sort of interaction is, is um, from your side and also the people that are involved. Yeah, so um, it's really simple idea. So it's bringing alumni into schools to showcase their careers and pathways. Um, we tend to run them slightly different according to what the school wants and needs to spend on the space, etc. But the general principles are um, introductions into those individuals when they left school and what they've done since then. And then we rotate them in small carousels around the students who map out their pathway. And then, you know, what we're trying to get the students to do at that point is realise that, like I said, most paths aren't kind of straight and horizontal they're all a bit all over the place um, and then we get students to do things like skills identification so if you um you know as a podcast host went into a school and said this is what I do for a living at the moment or this is one of the things that I do for a living we get the students then to to think about the skills they might need to do your job and what we're trying to do is help students understand that they are actually developing these skills school work and what they're doing in school is linked to their life outside even if they absolutely think it's completely irrelevant. Um, and you see that light bulb moment where they think, ah, my team building skills that my teacher keeps banging on about are coming into play. My communication skills that my English teacher keeps drilling into me are coming into play. The, anal the analytical skills from maths are coming, whatever it happens to be, you know, the point is, is that we're bringing school subjects to life through um, adults basically saying, I learned the basics of all of this through school. 
And then there are a range of other things that we might do as well. And, um, you know, there are some team building activities that we throw in there. There's like debate statements that we do to try and get students to speak out, but also to show them that the alumni can sometimes be divided on particular issues. You know, this isn't about uniform um, agreement throughout life, actually. There is beauty in the nuance of people that disagree. So that would be a kind of typical hour with us. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love that, the, the idea of nuance, because I think then, like you said, or as we sort of covered already, people can take from that what they what they need, because there's there's light and shade with, with all of those things. Um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, as we're talking about people, young people's sort of perceptions on advice, maybe what's a piece of um, advice that you might give your younger self now looking back with the caveat that, like you said, maybe we wouldn't have taken it or you wouldn't have taken it on board at the time? Yeah, I mean, it's probably a bit of a cliched one, but I think the best piece of advice that I did take to my, um, uh, when, when I was younger was probably, you know, try your hand at new things, give everything a go. And that was John that, that told me to do that if I could give one piece of advice to my younger self though that would probably be to enjoy every moment of school and college and university because not only are you you know engaging in subjects you love and care about but you're also going to have a wicked time and you know for the first time ever you're going to feel like actually life's quite good fun um and and it's fun as an adult too but it's a different type of fun isn't it because it's all the serious stuff that comes alongside it <laughs> absolutely and I, and I think that's right and that sort of transition of like I say as you start to get older and your subjects start to get smaller and then you start to specialize more like you say you're really honing in on the things that you're really enjoying and at the same time your life is expanding because you're having to take more ownership and more control and you might be then sort of being more self-sufficient and yeah th th there's there's an excitement about that like I say without that full responsibility of, of of full adulthood yeah and I remember just things like you know when I was at college and I got EMA at the time 30 pounds a week you know I paid myself through driving lessons with that so every week the money went basically so I think my driving lesson was 27 pounds an hour when it whenever I did it you know 10 years ago whatever it was um, and I just remember every time that money came in but there was something about budgeting you know I worked weekends to then pay for the bus fare whilst I was um, learning to drive or not that I could afford a car you know I I didn't know that I could afford a car, of course, when that was coming up, because I just thought, oh, what a magic one out of thin air. But the point was, um, you know, there are, there are um, transitional moments that education gives you the stabilizers to transition through, if that makes sense. You know, the first time you rent, if you do that whilst at uni, and I know not everyone goes to uni or everyone wants to go to uni, but at least you've got the university structure to fall back on. And, and, and without that, most people don't have reference points for those sorts of things. And so that's why our work is even more critical, I would argue, because those that don't go through kind of formal sustained education up until they're 21 are going to be learning some of those lessons, you know, really quite harshly and quite quickly. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love that fact that, like you say, your your network wherever that comes from is is really important in you know it may be your parents it really may not be your parents like say it may be someone within the school setup it may turn out that someone that you meet or get involved in you know through future first is the person that you just know I remember something about a conversation about something which I think they can help me with um and and from there like you say that sort of professional network as well as personal network is, is is there on tap and I think when you feel like you've got that that soft landing I think and you know things are going to go wrong but I, I know actually there's someone here that can just sort of 
sort of pick me up if I need to or just put me in the right direction. That then builds your confidence generally and then you're able to take that sort of next step forward with a bit more kind of peace of mind. That's it. And nobody ever questions the power of the network when you're an adult. In fact, it's the thing most people link to when they leave a job or when they get a new job. They normally thank their network, normally. So they'll say, thank you so-and-so for connecting me to the opportunity or introducing or whatever. You know, the power of the network is understood and appreciated as an adult. But what adults don't do is understand and appreciate it for young people. Unless, of course, they're building an engaged, thriving alumni network, in which case they totally get it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of really straightforward for them. But all we're trying to do is replicate what we know works. And the private sector, so the private education sector, is so good at this. That's why in all the top jobs, it's their mates. You know, we know that. We, look, we see that in government. We see that in the, in the private sector, in banking, in finance, in the big law firms. These people often, if they don't share a social circle, share the same education network. And it's bonkers because most of us went to state school. Yeah, and and I, and I think with that, sometimes people have different sort of views on on exactly what that looks like. But I mean, I'm a you know I'm an orchestral manager as well as a musician, and of course, the first people that I ask when I'm filling an orchestra or or, or an ensemble for something is someone who I know who can do a great job that I can recommend because I'm basically just putting this thing together so that. That, that you know there, there's a show or production that's going on and and sometimes it might be that I have to book people who I don't know but with that comes a recommendation of a few other people in research and that kind of thing but there is definitely a kind of a structure to that starting with yes I know that John Smith plays the violin brilliantly and I'm going to ask them to do it first yeah and actually in any part of your life you know if your car ever needs fixing or you want a recommendation for a good plumber or whatever you always ask your network first. And then what you do is ask your extended network because our network is so big these days because social media. Anytime you go on Facebook, probably most days there is somebody asking for a recommendation for something. Uh, and actually imagine if we unlocked that power of the network and gave it to current students. Yeah, I think that really paints the the, the power and, and, and the picture of exactly everything that you're doing, which I love. Now, a resource is always in, incredibly important for many of us. So I'm keen, is there a resource which has had a real impact on your life? And it can be personal or professional and can range from anything, podcast, book, video, song, film, but something which has had that impact. Mm, I mean, there is, there's so much, but I would say that um, it's probably David Attenborough's multiple BBC um, Earth documentaries. Um you know, I am someone that suffers from climate anxiety. You know, I'm very anxious about what's going on in, with climate change, and especially as we're living through, you know, second heat wave of the year. But I think what he taught me, and I was quite young when they came out, was actually we are, um, as individuals, tiny, tiny specks on the planet. But as a collective, and this is sort of linked to the network, actually we have huge impacts on what we do. And there's something that I'm still getting to grips with and learning with about being an individual trying to impact the collective and then playing my part as part of that collective. So I guess that is probably what I would indicate. The other thing I would generally say is um, Kylie Minogue because she helps me relax. Perfect. And, and I, I love the two sides of the or two ends of the spectrum of those sorts of things, because I think, like you said, it's all part of the whole, isn't it? And you, and you um, each of those facets is really important to, to everyone, no matter, no matter who they are. You've got to you've got to know what tools in life are going to keep you 
calm, relaxed, you know, um, and in touch with the real world. There is something quite cool about pop culture, which makes me feel like I'm connected to young people, perhaps more than I should be at the age of 30, almost 31. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, and, and just as we finish off, obviously, FIRE is part of education on FIRE is incredibly important. Um, and from the acronym, we've got feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. I'm just keen, what's the first thing that strikes you out of those words that, that you'd like to share? I think it's about, um, you know, I love I love the acronym because feedback is something l most of us are, un are uncomfortable with. We learn to be really comfortable with feedback and it takes time, but it's critical to get you to improve and to be the best that you can be. And most people, not all, but most people providing that feedback to you are people that want you to do better. And it's seeing it in that light that most people aren't criticizing or or raising an issue because they want you to fail. It's normally the opposite. It's actually your behavior when you did X caused this you know, failure, as it were. If you just mitigate it slightly and behave like Y, it would cause this success. It might cause a different type of failure, but actually for me working with you, this is what I need. And I think that's critical because, um, you know, it's team that makes the dream work. You only achieve through those that you're working with. Um, and I think all, if you can crack that, inspiration, resilience and empowerment then follow quite naturally. And the last tip that I would say that has kind of worked for me is if you're ever lucky enough to receive a mentor or coaching, even if that's informal, always offer yourself out as a mentor or coach to somebody else. I love it. So incredibly important. So for those people who, like you say, haven't been involved in Future First before, tell everyone, one, where they can find out more information and how they can take that next step. Great. If you are somebody that's interested in volunteering for your former school, if you come on to the Future First website, which is futurefirst.org.uk, you can register as a volunteer. If we're not working with your former school at the moment, you can join our national network where, and we might call upon you for schools in the area or for our nationwide and um, volunteering opportunities like our mentoring. If you're somebody that works in a school and you're interested in lock, unlocking the power of an alumni network, same website, futurefirst.org.uk, have a look at our um, membership options, connect with us on social media or fill out the form and we'll get back to you with everything that we offer and um, talk you through taking those initial steps. Fantastic. Well, Leon, thank you so much for sharing your time and, and the wisdom and your insights there. I think I think it was great to get that whole picture of, of what it's all about. And, and one of the things I love about the podcast is we start to hear the voices behind the websites and the organizations, but I think you get a, you get the, a feeling of the of the wisdom and the heart and the warmth of what people are trying to do. And I think that connection is obviously at the center of what you're trying to do. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.